Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This is God's holy word. Then Jesus was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray together. Father, as we bow before you, we thank you for your word. I am so, so grateful, Lord just for that sweet time of singing that we've just had. I'm grateful that we have been able to to be hearing each other's voices, lifting up your name in true praise. And I pray, God, that that is but a prelude of us worshiping you as we respond to you and your word. Teach us. Put us in awe today. Save souls and forgive sins and do things only God you can do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When God created people, the first man, Adam, had the opportunity to please God. Adam began sinless. And if Adam had obeyed the commands of God, he presumably would have lived forever. But God told Adam, if Adam should disobey God's commands, Adam would die. You guys know what happened, don't you? Adam disobeyed. And his failure stained all of his descendants, all people, with the curse of sin that leads to death. Noah couldn't fix the problem. Abraham and his family couldn't fix the problem. Israel as a nation could not fix the problem. And you and I, because of our nature, because of our choices, all of us have failed to live up to the perfection of God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And we all, every last one of us, would be hopeless on our own because we cannot make up for the wrong that we've done in our past. And neither can we clean ourselves up to the point of perfection. And so our right relationship with God would seem to be impossible. We need two things if we wish to be okay with God. First, we need the legal penalty for our sin to be paid. God must rightly punish our sin with death because God is perfectly just. And second, we need to be made clean before God so that we can enter his presence and live forever. Last week we heard John the Baptist say of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, for all who come to Jesus, his death covers that first problem I mentioned. The penalty is paid by Jesus' sacrifice. But we must... If we want to be okay with God, we must have a legal record of perfect obedience before God if we wish to stand in the presence of God. We must have a record of success where Adam and Abraham and Noah and Israel failed. Thanks be to God, Jesus lived the perfection That God requires. And for every person who comes to Jesus, God is willing to count the perfect life that Jesus led as ours. God is willing to credit you and me with the righteousness that Jesus lived. Today we're going to look at the account of the devil attempting to tempt Jesus. And it helps us see that Jesus really is perfect. He's the Son of God. He fulfilled righteousness where every other person failed. Otherwise, Jesus could never offer a record of perfection to you and me as a gift. Also today, though, we're going to find five things that I want you to take to heart as we learn how to guard ourselves against the devil's schemes. Because we all face temptation, right? And wouldn't you love to be a little stronger against temptation? Yeah. Jesus will show us how to do that as he lives out the perfection no human being has ever lived. So let's get ready and get started. First point, first application point here. Two words, expect temptation. Expect temptation. Verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, this passage actually picks up just after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. You might recall last week, John told us in the gospel according to John of his experience in the river Jordan with Jesus. John baptized Jesus and the Spirit of God came down from heaven and remained on Jesus. 
From other accounts of Jesus' baptism, we know that God the Father spoke during that moment and declared Jesus to be, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the account that we're reading this week, it actually comes between when John baptized Jesus and that spot in John 1 where John can point to Jesus, to his, Jesus to his followers. Because you see, Right after John baptized Jesus, the Savior was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness where Jesus spent more than a month in solitude. Now, why? Why did Jesus go out into the desert? The answer is quite clear, isn't it? The Spirit led Jesus there to be tempted by the devil. Jesus, immediately after hearing the most glorious voice of his heavenly Father, is taken to a harsh place for a long time for a hard purpose. God the Father would allow Jesus to be tested so that his perfection could be shown. And the devil is going to try to tempt Jesus, trying to cause him to sin, to destroy the eternal plan of God. Then in verse 2 we see, as this entire picture starts coming into focus, Jesus spent 40 days... Fasting. How do you think you would do with that? Now, I will tell you, I did some research. I wanted to find out. It can be done. I didn't do personal research and try it myself, but it can be done. But at the point of 40 days, a person in a harsh environment like that would be very near death. Now, I'll give you an interesting parallel before we get back to this. This is kind of interesting. Do you remember the book of Exodus and then Numbers? The nation of Israel, as a nation, went into the desert, right? How long were they in the desert? Forty years. Jesus is in the desert forty days. I think we're supposed to see here that our Savior is playing the role of Israel and taking upon himself the burden of succeeding where Israel failed. And in the temptations that follow, we're going to see Jesus stand strong facing temptations that Israel failed to defeat. But before we look at the temptations, let me remind you of one simple truth that you've got to keep in mind if you want to defeat temptation, and that is that you must expect temptation. Temptations to sin do come, and you need to be ready. You need to expect them. You should not let your guard down. I would even point out to you that temptations often come in a season of joy. They often come in a time of success. They're not merely things that show up when you're having hardship. After all, what had Jesus just gone through? He just heard his father say, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. How do you get better than that? Then boom, the temptation. The, the, the transfiguration experience of Jesus. Jesus goes up a mountain with his disciples and his glory is revealed and the Father again says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And Jesus comes down the mountain. You know what happens? The disciples are arguing with each other and fighting because they can't cast out a demon. And Jesus says, how long do I have to be with you? And I've experienced on more than one occasion Christians going together somewhere, maybe on a mission trip. You ever gone on a mission trip before? 
Or maybe to a conference. If you're going to a nice conference before where you get all spiritually fed up. Man, I've seen Christians go to a conference. The youth group goes on the youth group retreat. Have a great spiritual time. And somehow they find ways to end up in conflict with each other before they even get home. Because the truth is, folks, the devil loves to come at us. And he loves to attack you, yes, when you're tired. He loves to attack you when you're cranky or when you're sick. Or when you didn't get a good night's sleep. But he also loves to attack you when you're successful and your guard's down because you're just rolling around in the happy. If you want to be faithful, Christian, you've got to see this life as the spiritual battle that it is and expect temptation. Be committed to prayer, to study of Scripture, to worship, fellowship. Please don't let go of being together with the people of God and united in life together. Do everything you can to focus on the person and the glory of God so you can guard against the schemes of the devil. Now, let's go forward. We're going to see the three temptations that the devil throws at Jesus. And with each of those, we'll find a sin we also need to guard against. And with each of them, we'll see Jesus stand where the rest of the world falls. So point number two, trust God's word and not yourself. Point number two, trust God's word and not yourself. Take a look here. Verse three and four. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first of the three temptations that the devil uses to attack Jesus here in Matthew is the call to turn stones to bread. Jesus was hungry. That may be the biggest understatement in the whole book, by the way. He had fasted for 40 days at a moment of what is desperate physical need, the devil suggests that Jesus, in order just to prove who he is anyway, should use his power to meet that need himself. And what would be wrong with Jesus using his power to meet his own need and turn the stones to bread? You know, one thing to think about is that as part of his incarnation, as part of his becoming a man, Jesus willingly chose to let go of many of his rights and privileges as God the Son. And included in that, Jesus chose not to use his power as Almighty God simply for his own convenience. You know, when Jesus used his miraculous powers in the Bible, they, they, the uses of that power are always for the purposes for which God the Father sent him. We're always in response to the, the leading of his father. Had Jesus chosen to do his own thing, had Jesus chosen to make bread from the stones, it, it could have been that Jesus would have just been stepping out of the will of the father. Maybe Jesus would have been communicating doubt. 
about whether God the Father is really that good. Maybe Jesus would have communicated a lack of trust in God the Father's provision. Well, the response of the Savior to the devil, it's a quotation from Deuteronomy 8, 3. The man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, in Deuteronomy 8, Moses told the nation of Israel that their 40-year wandering time in the desert was going to be a test for, uh, for them from God. And among the things that Israel had to do in order to be faithful was they had to trust the word of God and the ways of God for their provision. They were to rely on God to provide for them manna, bread in the wilderness. <laughs> manna may be the best word. You know what it literally means? It means, what is that? What are you having for dinner? I'm having what? That's what they had. But they were to go out and gather the manna on days when it was allowed. And they were to not go out and gather manna on the Sabbath. And Israel as a nation often sinned in the wilderness, either by complaining about the provision of God, acting as though God's not good, or by flat disobeying the commands of God regarding when or how much manna together to gather. Well, Jesus tells the devil he's going to rely on the word of God above all things. Jesus let the devil know that he needs the true word of God more than he needs food, and he needs the true word of God more than he needs life itself. Nothing, not even bread after 40 days of fasting is more important than the holy word of God. Nothing is more important than obedience to the commands of God. You ever think about the fact, here we have, if we think about our Savior here, Adam failed in the garden with food. He turned against the command of God because of something he wanted to eat. Israel failed in the wilderness, complaining against the Lord's provision and going after food in ways God commanded them not to. But here, thanks to God, Jesus stood where people had failed before him. Jesus defeated temptation with faithfulness to the word of the Lord. Now, quick thing I want you to see here, it's going to ring true in all three temptations. Jesus responds to the devil's tricks with a solid reliance on Scripture. Knowing the Word of God, believing the Word of God, relying on the Word of God is your only real way to defeat the devil. Many of us fail, Christians, when we take our eyes off Scripture and put our eyes on Facebook or Twitter, on politicians or on the news media. Many of us fail when we let the thoughts in our own heads run rampant without having them checked by the Holy Word of God. And if you want to defeat temptation, you must know the Word, love the Word, have genuine fellowship with other believers who love the Word. One of the worst things, Christians, about this season where so many are isolated is that so many Christians have stopped having fellowship with other Christians, which means they don't hear other people give them the word, help them apply the word, help them live the word. And so all of a the sudden they live as though their own thoughts 
and their own thoughts alone are valid. And that's dangerous. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11 says, I have stored up in your, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The devil tried to get Jesus to do things his own way without any consideration of the word or the will of the Lord. Would you guys think that that might be a common temptation for believers in the 21st century too? I want to ask you, when you make life decisions, do you make the word and will of the Lord your number one priority? Or in most cases, do you actually just make decisions and do things your own way until you find yourself in trouble? You know, the devil loves it when people who are supposed to follow God act like God is irrelevant to their lives. I want you to imagine something. Maybe you're, what's a decision a Christian might need to make? Maybe you want to move. Maybe you want to move to a new job. Maybe you want to move to a new city. Maybe you want to, maybe you want to go to a, oh, it's funny. Uh, maybe you want to go do something different with your life, whatever it is. Does the scripture play a role in what you do? Does the church, do you consider whether or not you're going to go to a place to connect with believers who will love you and love the word and walk shoulder to shoulder with you through the hardships of life? Or do you just think, hey, that place has nicer scenery. That's where I'm going to go. That place has nicer weather. That's where I'm going to go. I can get a little bit more money out of my job if I go here. Do you decide where you will live like somebody who believes in the Lord? Or does your decision-making process look exactly like those who don't know the Lord at all? That's my question. Now, if any of you are considering moving, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just saying, do you think like someone who believes God's there and God matters? Okay, I want to risk a couple of hot-button issues here. Will you guys be promised to be gracious to me as I do it? Two of you will. Thank you. Some of you guys are like, I will see. It is easy to become discouraged by the political situation in our land. Yes? And I will not pretend to you that the government doesn't matter. The government does matter. What we do matters. But what does it say about us when we go from being a little disappointed by the outcome of an election to being obsessed with the fear, anger, and discouragement of the situation. If we live constantly angry, constantly frustrated, constantly sniping on social media, do we show that we believe God has even a bit of a hand in this matter? Don't you guys know God is still on his throne no matter what happened with any election? If politics is the way we think we're going to see this land changed, are we not ignoring God and doing things in our own way, by our own power, in our own strength? 
Aren't we practically at that point living just like atheists do? Or how about, how about the coronavirus? There's a, there's a hot button one for you, right? Does your response look at all like you believe God is here to take care of you? Again, I'm not saying wise precautions are not good things. What I'm saying is that your health, your life, or even your death, these are in the hands of the Lord. Do you live like that's true? Or do you function as if you, by your own strength, by your own wisdom, by your own power, by your own precautions, will determine your future? Now again, hear me especially. God bless you guys that are watching us online right now. I'm not condemning you when I'm asking this question. I'm not, I promise you. The question is, as you make your decisions, are you making decisions believing God's there and choosing that which pleases the Lord? And you've got to assess that for yourself, just like everybody in this room has to assess that, right? Christians, it is a dangerous temptation to rest in your own strength or your own wisdom instead of relying on the power of God and the word of God. Jesus easily could have made bread for himself out of those stones in the desert, but he chose not to do so because he would rely on his heavenly Father and not on his own perfect power. But if Jesus wouldn't rely on his own perfect power, how much worse is it when you and I rely on our own imperfect, limited, puny power instead of living as those whose trust and hope and whose days are in the hand of the Lord? So listen to me when I call you trust God's word and not yourself. Third point, and hang with me here, especially if that last part got under your skin. Third point, don't be lazy and presumptuous. If you're a child taking notes, just write the word lazy, skip the presumptuous, it's okay. Don't be lazy. If you're an adult and can't spell, you can also do this. Don't be lazy and presumptuous. Look at verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So here we have the devil taking Jesus to the temple. You read commentaries, you'll hear people disagree as to whether this is physical or just a vision, and I don't care. The devil takes Jesus to a very high place atop the structure. Josephus will tell you that there was a spot at the temple where a portico overhung the Kidron Valley, and there was a drop of like 450 feet from the roof of this thing to the valley floor. That's a long drop, y'all. And that, that spot, by the way, may be the place where James, the brother of Jesus, would later be martyred by being thrown down to his death. Well, Satan's temptation here is to call Jesus to leap off that prodigious height. Like the first temptation, 
The devil is suggesting that this would be a solid way for Jesus to prove for himself and others that Jesus really is the Son of God. I mean, hey, what better way to get people to follow you than to make a huge public spectacle of your own power? The devil, understanding that Jesus, of course, would rely on the word of God, cites Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12 to him with a touch of editing. But the verses there speak of God protecting his chosen. So the devil says, hey, if that verse is true, God's going to have to keep you from falling to your death. He'll have to catch you with his angels. And the Savior responds with another scripture, this time from Deuteronomy 6.16, a verse which forbids people from putting God to the test. That, of course, was a failing of Israel. They tested God. They complained against God. They demanded that God prove himself all the time. And here, when Jesus refuses to fall for that ploy, again, Jesus stands and succeeds where Israel failed. But what does it mean to put God to the test? In the context here, the idea is to presumptuously behave in such a way that you believe you can force God to act in the way that you want him to act. The devil wanted Jesus to presume upon God, to take a foolish step off the top of a temple, to force God to hold him up, keep him from hitting the ground. And if Jesus had given into that temptation, he would have been saying to the Father, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make you do what I want. I'm going to take charge and I'm going to make you do things my way. And that would be sin. And you know what's funny, and this is why I told folks to hang in there, this sin right here is like the precise opposite of the one we saw with the call to turn stones to bread. Because the first sin is the call to do this by your power, do this in your way, ignore God completely. The second temptation is for you to refuse to do anything that you should do and to presume you can make God do it all for you. This is the sin of those who believe in a prosperity theology, isn't it? The preachers that you might see on TV, they will preach to you that if you say the right words, if you believe deeply enough, if you give enough money to my ministry, if you do something similar to that stuff, you can force God to act to bless you with financial success. They almost act like you could back God into a corner and make him give you the health, wealth, and prosperity that you want. But being a follower of God doesn't mean you're never going to suffer hardship. I mean, look, Christians do get sick, right? Christians, Christians die. And we never should assume we can force God to not let us go through hard times. Because God has a purpose for everything we face. Everything we go through. When you look back on it from eternity on the other side, it's all going to point to the ultimate glory of God. Now, this opposite sin, I'll go back to my hot button issues from earlier. In your response to politics, again, you shouldn't think you can fix the world by your own power like an atheist would, right? We got that from the first one. Neither should you fret and worry as if God's not involved, right? You with me so far? But at the same time, you shouldn't be so presumptuous and lazy as to do nothing. You shouldn't avoid praying that the Lord be merciful. You shouldn't avoid 
sharing the gospel, hoping that the Lord will see people saved and turn the path of our nation around as people come to know him. You should not avoid voting and voting for things that would please the Lord. Don't assume that you can just make God do it the way that you want it to go. Don't pretend that God is not there, but neither pretend that God will do everything while you sit and do nothing. Let's go back to COVID. I just said to you a moment ago, don't live in fear as though God has no hand in whether you get sick or not. You guys are with me on that, right? Don't think that you, by your own power, can completely protect yourself. There are folks that think that they will take the right precautions and therefore they will be utterly safe because they've done it themselves. But it also is not wise for you to decide, I trust God, so I'm going to go around licking doorknobs. (laughs) People do get sick. Some people get this thing really bad. So what you need to do is be responsible enough to care for yourself and your family to the best of your understanding, to the best of your wisdom, to the best of your needs. If you fear and refuse to function at all, you might show the world you don't believe God's there. If you refuse to take any care of yourself, if you refuse to do wise things, you're being presumptuous. It's not my job to tell you what things are wise and what things aren't wise in this, by the way. That's between you and the Lord. But don't be like an atheist and don't be so presumptuous that you don't take care of yourself. Make sense? The first temptation was to live as though God was not there at all and all the responsibility is yours. The second temptation is to live as though you have no responsibility, but instead you can make God do anything you want. Don't live like God's not there. Don't live lazy and presumptuous. That's two temptations. Let's see if we can get to the last one real quick. Point number four, worship God only. Worship God only. Look at verse eight through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So here in the final temptation, there's no subtlety whatsoever, friends. You know, you might have wondered, why isn't it okay to turn stones to bread? You might even wonder, hey, I mean, hey, jumping off the temple doesn't sound like a terrible idea. You get a big crowd, prove the glory of God. That's not so bad, is it? You might be confused by those things. But this one, friends, is plain obvious, wouldn't you say? The devil tries to get Jesus to bow down and worship him. And the Savior responds with Scripture and with perfection. Deuteronomy 6.13 is probably the most clear verse he's responding with, but I would say the whole section's in mind. But honestly, I think we all know even without a verse from the Old Testament right now that bowing down and worshiping the devil is going to be sin, right? You with me on that? That temptation is pretty simple. The devil says to Jesus, I will give you the world. You won't have to do anything else. I'll just give it to you. Just one moment. Bow down and worship me. The devil's trying to give Jesus the chance to avoid the suffering in the garden, the brutality of the soldiers, the horrors of the cross. 
He's like, just, just compromise right here and I'll get out the way and give you the world. Now, what about our world today? I'm going to guess that seldom are you going to have somebody ask you literally to bow down to the devil. Though we live in Las Vegas and anything's possible. But I think what you will experience, Christian, is the regular temptation to make something other than God your number one thing. You will experience the temptation to put your feelings ahead of God, your family ahead of God, your physical desires ahead of God, your job ahead of God, your safety ahead of God. You will face the temptation to compromise what is right because you want to get what you want more easily. In the book of James, the Bible tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from us, James 4, 7. And here Jesus resists the devil perfectly with full reliance on the word of God, with full submission to the Father. And the devil had to leave Jesus. Jesus said to the devil, be gone. And the devil left for a time. Jesus stood strong where every other human being before him and every other human being since him has crumbled. As you face temptation, remind yourself this. God alone is the central reason you exist. When somebody gets under your skin, and if you spend time with me, somebody will get under your skin. Remember that the worship of God is why you live. When you want to hide yourself from danger, remember that the glory of God is the reason you breathe in the first place. When you want to look at something that your eyes shouldn't see, remember that honoring the holy God who made you is the reason for your life. Worship God alone. And as you worship the Lord, you will defeat temptation. There's no doubt I think you guys would agree with me. Battling temptation is hard, right? It can hurt. You can and often will suffer when you go against the pull of the flesh. I want to give you hope in our last point. Point number five. Rest in Christ. Point number five. Rest in Christ. Look at verse 11. This is so great. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So Jesus resisted. With scripture and with full devotion to the Father, Jesus resisted. Where Adam fell, Jesus stood. Where Abraham was faithless, Jesus was faithful. Where Israel bowed to idols, Jesus called us all to worship God alone. And all the Gospels remind us that Jesus did perfectly, completely, rightly fulfill all righteousness. Jesus lived the perfection that you and I could never live. And after the last of these three temptations, the devil flees and the Lord sends angels to minister to Jesus. While those 40 days had to be difficult, the temptations that were there, they were far more powerful than you and I have ever gone through or could ever imagine. Jesus, he suffered through this time, but he wasn't left alone. Do you see it? Angels from God came and ministered to Jesus. 
And the thing I think we want to see here is that when all is said and done, you follow the Lord, you will never regret following the Lord. We may hurt in this life, but in the end, the Lord will soothe our hurts. We may suffer in this life, but the Lord will dry every tear in heaven. We may face affliction, but God promises us an eternal weight of glory that will so outshine our pain that we will never, not even for one minute, regret what we suffer for the Lord. No, I'm not suggesting to you that this comfort is always going to be yours in this life. The Lord does certainly comfort his children in this life with the presence of his Holy Spirit. That's how martyrs could go singing to their deaths. But in point of fact, this world as it is, is not our home. We are made for eternity in the presence of the Lord. And only when we're in the presence of Christ forever will we truly see that everything we feel like we gave up in a battle against temptation was worth it. That's why I suggest to you that the last verses remind us, remind us to rest in Christ. We will face temptation and it's going to be hard. We will battle and it will hurt. To obey God may cost you a friend. To obey God may cost you a job, your freedom, a family member. Obeying God might cost you your life. But I'll tell you this. If you obey God and you die for doing it, it's a death worth dying. Knowing that the Savior will make all things right in eternity, you can find comfort. Jesus will do perfect justice. Jesus will comfort you. Jesus will provide you rest. So rely on him. Focus on the hope to come, the glory to come, the grace that will continually be poured out on you, and you will be better able to stand in the here and now. Friends, temptations are going to come. If you're a believer, I want you to learn from Jesus' response to temptation so that you can stand. Expect it. Expect temptation. Trust the word of God and not yourself. Don't be lazy and presumptuous. Worship God only. Rest in Christ. And if you've never come to Jesus for God's grace, understand this. You need his righteousness or you'll never be able to stand in the presence of God. Jesus lived the perfection you cannot. He died the death you deserve. So surrender to Jesus. Believe in him. Ask him for mercy, and he will give you spiritual rest in his grace. Friends, will you pray with me? Father, we bow here now. And we are grateful that the Savior overcame temptation. And we are grateful, we are so grateful that not only did he overcome it, but he showed us ways to do so. Thank you for Jesus who lived a righteousness we could never live. Thank you for Jesus who died a death we deserve to die. And Lord, I pray that you will indeed allow us 
not to be caught off guard, but to expect temptations to come, but not to fear them. Help us to trust your word. Help us never to presume, but to do what you call us to do. Help us to worship you alone and find our comfort in what you bring. If anyone here doesn't know you, I pray that they will come to know you. And I pray, God, that in all things, you will be glorified. Work in us your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.